Stargatesing, a new Stargate podcast. I'm Kathy. And I'm Mary. How are you today, Mary? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today, Kathy? Uh, I'm doing okay. It was a long day at work. It but... was a long day of work, and I'm tired of talking, and now I'm going to talk some more, so I'm sorry if my uh, throat gets a little scratchy sounding here. It's, uh, it's not any viruses. It's just lots of talking today. <laughs> yeah. Mine is all allergies, so. Oh, also fun. And sneezing like crazy. It's oh, so that. annoying. That is very annoying. I'm like, I promise it's not COVID. <laughs> if I snivel afterwards, it's still not COVID. Yeah, thankfully there isn't really anyone around here for that to be a concern for, uh, because I'm I, working from home. But yeah. <laughs> I get terrified at lunchtime. I'm like, don't yeah. swallow anything wrong. Don't cough. <laughs> Can't yeah. go home. Well, actually, it'd be nice to go home sometimes, but that's okay. Yeah. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about The Broken Divide, which is the fourth episode according to our DVD list uh, of season one of SG-1. And do you want to kick it off? Oh, if I must. I can if you want. <laughs> I it's, it's fine. I have thoughts on this episode. I will do my best to not go into too many... Uh, college professor tangents <laughs> do it <laughs> i don't know that anyone cares other than me but i will uh i can't promise no tangents there will be some i'll try not to go off on too many or for too long <laughs> <laughs> all right we start off with some dramatic music outside of base uh, and then we go into the meeting room it was like especially dramatic music which is why i, I made note of that it was like really loud and super dramatic uh-huh. Uh, at least in the version that I was watching. I didn't notice then, but I did notice the music throughout. So, mm, I don't know. Okay. It felt overall, I think, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Hammond tells us that the refugees, 10 of the refugees that they had just sent back to Chulak, were able to identify the final four symbols that the Gua'uld had used before they left the planet with Skara and Shari. And he said that they can eliminate the last one as the point of origin from where they were leaving from Chulak. And so they're using Carter's model to try to figure out where it might go based off of those last three. So kind of like that trial and error that I was wondering about before, why they couldn't use that to figure out the seventh symbol back <laughs> in the movie, but whatever. So it turns out that only one planet matches those last three glyphs. And so in one mm-hmm. hour, they're going to be moving out to P3X797. And then there's some conversation about why they can't use real names instead of just these weird designations. Couldn't we call this planet something that's a little easier to remember? Apparently it's based on binary code. And we learned that they had sent a probe through. So that probe had returned signal telling them that it's breathable air. It's about 40 degrees Fahrenheit, they specified. And it is also very dark wherever this happens to be. O'Neill wants to know why it's so dark because doesn't the probe what they're calling a malp have lights on it and yes it does but it turns out that those lights were broken so that (laughs) probably doesn't bode very well (laughs) that part of the probe that was sent through was destroyed and we also learn here that sg3 will be joining them you can count on us to watch your backsides and i guess that all the sg teams were not apparently air force because sg3 is actually from the marines nice with it being dark on that side, do you think the Malp had enough time to send through an image that there was a DHD, or is he just, like, sh- throwing a guess out there that they'll be able to get back? Yeah, that's a valid question, and I think they're just kind of assuming at this point that planets all have DHDs, and that doesn't seem to be a fair assumption, but that's the impression yeah. that I get, is they're just assuming that they're there. Okay. Because, yeah, how would they have seen it? Good yeah. point. Yeah, I, I, I just, so this is my first example of how weird Hammond is in this episode. <laughs> and how, like, kind of behind the ball he is the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it amused me, but. 
<laughs> if I were being sent through a, a wormhole to another planet, I might not be so amused. Right. Fair point. We fast forward to the gate room. Everyone's gearing up and they all have night vision goggles. O'Neill wants to know why the Malp doesn't have night vision. <laughs> and apparently nobody has an answer because I guess that they didn't give it night vision. It would seem like they should have. Right. <laughs> SG3 tries to go first, but O'Neill's like, no, we're going to go through first. And as they are going up the gate, O'Neill quietly tells Daniel this is actually for Skara and Share's protection because if F- SG3 went through first and saw Skara and Share, they'd fire on sight. So whereas Daniel had at first protested that they weren't letting SG3 go, go first, he's like, oh, I see your point. Yeah, good call. <laughs> and then we get our fun roller coaster transition to the new planet. Ooh, but before O'Neill went through, he did a little whoosh with his fingers, and it looked like he did like the Zorro symbol on the uh, on the wormhole before he went through. Oh, I missed that part. Fun. Yeah, that is fun. I don't know what that was about, but I was like, oh, I don't know. It's silly. silly. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, so on the other side, they are on a very dark planet. Um, the team walks by a DHD, so at least we know they can go home. Phew. Through their night vision goggles, they can see, like, kind of movement am- in, am- amidst the trees. They don't know what, what it is. But then, all of a sudden, they're attacked by a group of figures with sticks and rocks who tackle them and hit them. <laughs> but no worries, because after his 10 count, SG-3 came through and shot off guns in the air like you do in the show. <laughs> and it scared them away. The team finds one person left who is being uh, either unconscious or dead. I wasn't really sure. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure either. But they kind of unwrap his clothing uh, from his face, and it's a man-like person. Like, they, they look pretty human, but not quite. Indeed. Yeah. Then we get intro credits. <laughs> Woo! Yay! So on the forest planet, after the intro credits, the team starts to spread out. They've found the camp that the locals have come from. O'Neill asks Daniel what they are, and he's trying to guess uh, not any kind of homo sapiens, so he's kind of going through a couple different practice. Nope, can't be them because they don't have canine teeth. Maybe Australopithecus, but no, the brow ridge is not quite prominent enough. So long story short, Daniel doesn't really know exactly what they are. Carter points out that they have a human-looking captive, and uh, it seems like things are probably not going to go very well for her if they just leave her. As she is, she's Mm -hmm. screaming and looks like she is about to be attacked. And Daniel says that sex by force is fine because it's just their way of life. And not surprisingly, Carter is not okay with this because, as she points out, that's still rape. So she is about to go in and try to rescue this woman. But all of a sudden, rocks come flying in out of nowhere on the natives. Ah. Ah. The SG team chases the source and finds a group of people that identify themselves as the untouched. They're all dressed in white gauzy cloth and seem to be fully human. And they are pleased that the gods have chosen to return. Of course, then SG-1 and SG-3 both have to clarify that they are not, in fact, gods. And so this other group of locals, the untouched, say that perhaps these gods want to be treated as mortals as some sort of a test. So they're going to take them to the land of the light. That captive woman that Sam had been so concerned about, they apparently did manage to save, and they take her back to the land of the light with them. Woohoo! Yay! This wasn't a good look for Daniel. This was not a good look for Daniel. I was really disappointed in him with that. Come on, dude. Because, yeah... Just obviously so many reasons yeah. that that's not cool. And I think it was the, is it the second episode in a row where he's like, can't interfere. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, I guess consistency. Right. Yeah. So they're, they are in the land of the light. Which I just want to point out that there was like a very stark delineating line between the land of the dark and the land of the light. It's not like it just gradually got lighter. There's just a line where it's nighttime and then daytime. It's another divide. It is another divide. Oh, man. Oh. So they make their way to a uh, a temple. Daniel says, looks Minoan. Minoan is a Bronze Age civilization that predates ancient Greece a little bit. 
and I was looking this up a little bit and it's interesting to me that so they had two languages they can identify that were kind of used there was a a hieroglyph a Crete hieroglyph and then I forgot what the other language was called but it was like linear a or something like that which they've never neither of them have really ever been deciphered which is kind of interesting that is interesting yeah so that was basically <laughs> what I was doing during work work today. Uh, Minoan was named for King Minos, who in Greek mythology was the one who constructed the labyrinth and had the Minotaur. Oh, yeah. Who was then killed by Theseus, I think? Oh, I don't know. The Minotaur, not Minos. I don't know who killed Minos. Maybe no one killed Minos. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he died peacefully in his sleep, as was not very common back then, I don't think. <laughs> Especially yeah. not for rulers of any no. empires. <laughs> yeah. Even if he was real, we don't really know, you know? Yeah. Uh, and nobody really knows. This is such a tangent. Uh, nobody really knows exactly how the Minoan civilization uh, came to end. Some Something like natural disaster, something invasion from, you know, and spread of culture from, you know, other areas hmm. of Greece. Um, but they're not really sure. So it just kind of like slides into the next era i don't know i mean yeah. as things do most civilizations yeah. don't just well, yeah. end <laughs> most some do yeah <laughs> anyway well that's interesting i like the tangent thanks it's better than my tangents that i have today no no <laughs> yours is less angry making than my tangents my tangents are because i'm angry <laughs> that's true i had no cause to be angry about the minoans so <laughs> Um, they're led into a hall of uh, some sort, um, and in the foreground, like we're closer to us or our shot of the camera, you see two giant bull heads, mm-hmm. and then with a woman laying on pillows in between them. Which actually, I thought that initially it was just a pile of pillows until she started like <laughs> moaning a little a little later. <laughs> so moaning pillows, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then there's a long table and chairs, and the uh, leaders whose names I didn't catch through the entire thing. I didn't either, and I was really trying to. I think I saw their name later when I was looking things up, but I didn't write it down because I'm a monster. So <laughs> I'm gonna call them leader guy and leader lady. That works. So leader guy invites them to sit down at their long table and chairs. The girl is whimpering. They learn that she is the daughter of leader man. Her name is Melosha. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Oh, yes. Where was SG3 during all of this? They I, were absent. I was wondering. I assu- I mean, I'm assuming O'Neill told them to, like, whatever they say, take point or, like, yeah. guard something. But I'm not sure. They just seemed oddly absent to me because they never showed O'Neill telling them to stay outside. They were walking through the land of the light with them and then inside they were gone. I don't know. Maybe there's a there's an occupancy occupancy limit. <laughs> Maybe in that the huge min- temple. The Minoan fire marshal is very strict about these things. <laughs> That's what all of the unreadable documents say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> the untouched explain that they don't know if their daughter is going to be okay. They she might have been touched. She might still get. And become whatever the folks in the uh, in the woods are. So they just have to kind of wait and see what happens. They say that it's a curse. So the touched are curse- cursed by the Hilksha, which Daniel and Teak, 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 Teak actually <laughs> both recognize as a f- word that's familiar to them. And um, I think Daniel says gods of the underworld and Teak says they're evil gods. Yeah. Touched were regular people, and then once they became touched, they were banished because they, I don't know, became too unmanageable for the for civilized society. Right. Not to mention it's highly contagious, too, supposedly. Yes. Oh, and then O'Neill gets around to asking, you know, I think it was O'Neill. They ask when, SG-1 anyway, mm-hmm. asks yes. when they last seen these evil gods, and they say they evil gods don't show themselves and they said what about the good gods and that is obviously the gould and they said they haven't seen the good gods in a generation and o'neill is basically like (laughs) okay um will you excuse us for a moment gear up we'll move out in 15 minutes time to go home (laughs) mission accomplished (laughs) 
Mission accomplished. Let's yep. get out of here. Uh, Daniel's like, how about we stay and we study culture? We don't know anything about the Minoan civilization, really. Like, why are they so into bulls? <laughs> Which I feel like Daniel would know that was a common thing through like, yeah. ancient civilizations. But You'd think. <laughs> but maybe they had a specific reason. Mm. Um, oh, and then uh, he's told by O'Neill that mission, the mission is not about art appreciation. <laughs> so they're going home. Yes. So they do go home. And SG-3 also comes with them, so they come back from wherever they were, and everybody makes it back to Earth. Welcome to Earth. And SG-1 tells Hammond that the planet is of no strategic importance. In the meeting room a little bit while later uh, for the debrief, Daniel is still really upset and angry that he wasn't allowed to stay and study the culture. Carter's actually backing him up on this one, and they say that they want to study the Broken Divide which is the separation of intelligence between early species of mankind. This I actually did look up because the Broca center of the brain is actually what is responsible for our ability to speak. And so as far as we really know or uh, understand it, only humans have a Broca area in their brain. But I couldn't actually find any information about the Broca divide specifically, other than that, like, if I, when I did a, a Google search on it, all I could find was references to this episode. So <laughs> as far as evolutionary theory and anthropology goes, there doesn't seem to be an actual theory of the Broca divide as they were referencing it in this episode. But if I had to guess, I would think that it would be the dividing line between human ancestors that did not have a broca speech area and so could not speak and humans and human ancestors that would have a broca area and and are able to speak that's my tangent on that i'm one. glad you could extrapolate that from oh, thank that. you <laughs> jackson continues to argue uh, and it turns out that the president is actually siding with jackson on this one the president does think that there is benefit to be had by (laughs) by studying the society one of the guys from sg3 all of a sudden gets mad for no apparent reason gets up and starts trying to attack teal'c as uh, one of the enemy because he's got the guauld inside him and he should essentially is saying that like teal'c should apologize for being a terrible person not teal'c the gould specifically it was hilarious (laughs) He was yelling. I didn't even get that yeah, part. Yeah, he said to okay. the, he says, what you call that thing in your, your gut with like its neck ripped in half? And then, oh. and then he, they, when they're telling him to let go, he's like, not until this ghoul apologizes. <laughs> I heard, I, I thought he said not until this ghoul apologizes. So I thought he was referring to Teal'c as a ghoul, even though he's <laughs> I not one. I think he said That's really ghouled, funny. And I just... <laughs> That's really funny. That's even more funny. Oh, it made like me that. very happy. I just was like, this is so nonsensical. Yeah, it's wonderful. So Tilk takes him down super easily because Tilk is a crazy badass. Not crazy, but like super badass uh, character. Takes him down really easily and very calmly tells Hammond that he'd prefer not to hurt this man. <laughs> and so SG3 is then taken away to the infirmary. Yeah. He was like literally foaming at the mouth too. He was literally foaming at the mouth when they took him out of the room. Yeah. yeah. Not a good look now. Uh, so next in the gate room, Carter's doing some kind of work on the Stargate itself, uh, talking to Daniel about, oh, hey, what's up with Johnson? When they notice up in the window above them that there are two guys fighting who almost immediately go through the window and <laughs> yeah. land on the ground right by them. We should probably mention here that that's probably like a good 30 foot fall. That was that- a big fall. Yeah, the control room is elevated up over the gate room, so it was a it was a very big fall. Yeah. Yeah. Judging by his face, at least one of them is dead. Mm, he um, did not look very no. alive. Carter calls for a medic and she kind of in this moment kind of does a little itch of herself, which I was like, "Huh. What's that? That didn't look yeah. normal." I don't know. Like a little twitch. Yeah. Yeah, which we find out very shortly yeah. what's going on. Next scene, we find out. We go to the men's locker room. O'Neill just got out of the shower. And hey, there's Carter. She's not a man. She shouldn't be in the men's locker room. Uh, unless they have genderless locker rooms, which I'm not under the impression that they do here. But some places they do. So maybe I'm wrong. In any case, it doesn't really matter whether it's a men's locker room or a, a all genders yeah. locker room. Because Carter is suddenly trying to force herself on him uh, and yeah. is not taking no for an answer. So good for O'Neill. 
for continuing yeah. to say no. Thank you, O'Neill. And he takes her to the infirmary because she is just not letting up. No. Um, and in the infirmary, she's still not letting up. They've restrained her and she's still struggling. They're working on drugging her. The doctor says that Johnson has the same thing as Carter. And she also said that other members of the team also mm-hmm. have this whatever mystery yeah. illness. We should mention here that this is the first time we see Dr. Fraser, who will end up being a, a repeat character. I have a thing about that, too. Oh. So, well, not about her. So one, I don't think they, I don't remember them mentioning her name in the entire episode. Oh, I don't know. They might not have. I just, I thought they did. I don't know. So I was, I, I might've missed it, but mm-hmm. so I waited till the end credits. Cause I was like, maybe she's in the end credits. I hadn't seen her in the beginning credits mm-hmm. and I went back and she wasn't in the end credits. So I went back to really? the opening credits after, you know, the opening scene, um, mm-hmm. theme song and she wasn't there either, but mm. which I was like, that's really weird. But it's my DVD because I went to Hulu and I watched oh, it on Hulu. I was apparently very obsessive last night. <laughs> and Hulu, her name appeared right before um, two other names. So it was the first like guest star name that showed. So That's I don't know weird. what that was about. I wonder if maybe initially they weren't planning on having her be a repeat character. And so they weren't really bothering to ca- to uh, credit her in the main credits even the actor herself like oh like they didn't they, yeah Terrell yeah, Rothery's name wasn't yeah. in there and I was That's like weird. what is going on this can't be That's right weird. yeah uh and then oh and if you pause the dvd somewhere you can kind of see her name tag and you can see what it says if you know it says Fraser. oh maybe that's where <laughs> so, I got that from I then. don't know <laughs> anyway so yeah we get to we get to meet Dr. Fraser. yeah and she says this is the most dangerous thing she's ever seen basically Mm-hmm. It leads to swelling in the brow ridge and some new follicle growth, so new hair growth. Oh. Uh, I'm going to keep my opinions to myself on that okay. and keep moving on. They are all acting like animals, she says, and she uses the term primitives to describe them, saying that females would be trying to choose partners based on the possibility for the strongest offspring. So O'Neill should be flattered that Carter was trying to get with him before. Mm. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was nice of her to try to, I don't know, be nice or make him feel better. I don't yeah. know what she was going for. but Back in the control room, Daniel has been researching Australopithecus, and he asks O'Neill what happens and why he looks like he's been beaten up. He says, Carter tried to seduce him like an animal, and Daniel's like, oh, oh you, you poor, poor man. man. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Daniel says he wants to go and check on her, but then all of a sudden O'Neill gets very defensive about Samantha, Samantha. using her Mm -hmm. full name again, and then punches Daniel repeatedly. That was messed up. Yeah. Daniel had a nice trickle of blood down the side of his mouth. How did his glasses not break? They were knocked off his face. I don't know. uh, But they're still intact, so that's good. Maybe his glasses are magic. Maybe. I don't know. We're back in the infirmary, this time with O'Neill, who's uh, having his blood drawn. The doctor tells Hammond... She's isolated an organism in the bloodstream. Now, I'm going to babble some things, which I hope Mary will talk more about or correct me on or something, because I just wrote very basic things like some sort of parasitical virus feeding on chemical transmitters, activating dormant regions of the brain, making them cave people. Uh, (laughs) That's what I wrote. Everything about this is wrong. (laughs) I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it. Did you did you want to say something about it? Uh, yes. Oh, I, oh, oh, you don't me have too? to. Me? <laughs> I don't know. Just... Okay. Uh, a parasitic virus, not a thing. She says that it's an organism. An organism means that it is alive. Viruses are not alive. They have RNA or DNA. They have genetic material, but they cannot replicate on their own, which means that they are not technically considered to be living beings, which means that they are not an organism, nor can they be a parasite because a parasite is a living organism. As far as feeding on aliens and cholines, uh, I don't know what an alien is. There are uh, like acetylcholines that are neurotransmitters in the brain. There are lots of other different types of neurotransmitters as well, though. We do not have primitive parts of our brain that are dormant. That is not a thing. The most primitive parts of our brain would be our brainstem, keeping us alive by telling our heart when to beat and telling our lungs when to breathe, and then also doing important things like 
uh, reflex response and uh, non-vital and also vital reflex response. So we don't have a <laughs> dormant primitive part of our brain. We use all of our brain. Maybe it's all hiding. It. Maybe you just haven't seen it. It's like under a fold or something. It's like <laughs> lost in right. the couch cushion. <laughs> Maybe you're right. What do I know about brains? <laughs> All right, you can continue. <laughs> so then Daniel says, this explains the touched. And Hammond is like, uh, what are the touched? Which kind of made me think they got interrupted during their briefing. So maybe he just hadn't learned about it. But they also, did they not submit any reports? Maybe just nobody's had time to deal with this. But again, right. I feel like Hammond's way behind on what's going on in this place. Yeah. They explain about the touched to Hammond. And then they sort of speculate. Teal'c isn't affected, everyone assumes, because of his uh, his symbiote. And Daniel, why isn't Daniel affected? They're like, oh, maybe he has a natural immunity. Or maybe the virus will catch up to him later. We don't know. So the doc decides to check their blood, too. Hammond's like, are you saying we could have brought a new plague to this planet? (laughs) Yes. Where have you been? That has always been a possibility. (laughs) They literally, like, the last scene, I don't think we mentioned it, but, like, they were talking about how they'd already converted old, like, living quarters to isolation rooms in, you know, in the eventuality. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know where he's been, but not here. And they're like, yes. And he's like, okay, I guess we're sealing off the base, which well, I didn't say, I guess he's like, yes, that's it. We're sealing off the base. Why haven't you already done this? I just it's like, he was like some goofy boss who wasn't like in touch with anything. He's responsible yeah. for this whole base. And he's like, doop-a-doop. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I should go find out. Oh my god! Something's going on. That sounds about right in this one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So uh, we move on to one of those isolation rooms that apparently Hammond wasn't aware existed <laughs> in this mountain that he's running. O'Neill is in there screaming a very high-pitched primal scream that was very much like nails on a blackboard to yeah. me. They give him a sedative, and he goes down. We go to a random flash outside of the mountain of uh, a bunch of military guys running towards the entrance and just standing there and pointing their guns at the entrance. So I guess that's supposed to be our indicator that the mountain is in fact now on lockdown uh, and that they will shoot anybody that tries to leave. We go to Hammond's office where he is on the phone, the red phone with his bestie talking about the plague. Did you notice how much he was rolling his eyes? Oh, I didn't know. I mean, he just had them up and like the whole time. And I was like, this could, I don't know if he's like, I don't know what his expression was, but I was like, why are you rolling your eyes, man? It's the president. <laughs> That's a good question. Although, uh, <laughs> should we should we get into politics? Probably we shouldn't. Probably not. But <laughs> Politicians often give lots of people cause to roll their eyes. Let's yes. go with that. <laughs> Yeah. So in Hammond's office, he requests a second line of defense to stay outside of the base and shoot anyone that tries to leave. And that, I guess, gets through that first line of defense, who is the guys already standing right outside with their guns pointed at the exit. Uh, And then also adds that if anyone does get out, they should not only be shot on sight, but their body should be burned as well. And salt the earth. And salt the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have to salt the earth so nothing would ever grow again? <laughs> yeah. Hammond's trying to make up ground here. Yes. Then I think then we are back with Hammond and the doctor and Daniel and they're all Teal'c. And they are all gathered. They learn that Daniel and Teal'c are resistant to the disease. They have no evidence mm-hmm. of the virus. Yes. <laughs> the parasitical virus. No, it's not. That's not a thing. <laughs> That is not a thing. <laughs> they have no evidence of this whatever in their blood. So Doc, uh, the doctor and Daniel and Teal think they should go back to the planet to get a sample from the untouched and try to figure this out. Hammond's like, okay, teach them how to draw blood and you leave in like half an hour. 
and they're like, are you really just going to send us? And he's like, you're the only ones who are immune. What do you want from me? <laughs> so we go to the gate room. Daniel sneezes. <laughs> Sorry. He wipes Til- his hand on his pants, yeah. too. Oh, gross. Sorry, no, go on. That's that. <laughs> Tilk reassures him that the the t- the natives, the touched, are frightened by your allowed earth weapons uh, and can easily be subdued as a result. And then we roller coaster to the new planet. Whoosh. The... The woman from before is unconscious by the side of the path when they get through the gate and are on their way back to the city. Turns out she was actually infected, and it seems that they've just abandoned her there by the road. Daniel says he really wants to help her, but Teal says that they really need to leave because the the touched are going to come and get them. The touched, of course, then come running out from nowhere, and Teal fires into the air, thankfully not at them, to try to scare them off. But Daniel can't fire because he has already picked up the woman and is trying to carry her. By the time that Teal'c finishes firing and scares everyone off and turns around to continue on, he sees that Daniel is gone and all that is left are Daniel's glasses. No! What's happened? Bye, Daniel. Probably never see him again. Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Then we are uh, back on the base in O'Neill's isolation room. He's getting a new roomie. It is General Hammond in a straight jacket, which might be where he belongs in this episode. <laughs> he in O'Neill is like really like shaking it. I don't know what the I don't know how to describe like his head movements are like. Mm-hmm. He keep he keeps rolling his head. I think is how I would describe it. It was bothering yeah. me and like the mouth opening and closing was, was all very disturbing to me and I did not enjoy O'Neill in this episode. Yeah. But he manages to convey that he wants more drugs yes, even though it is not safe for him to have any more because she's given him a shit ton mm-hmm. and way more than even anyone else because he's been extra violent. More than the maximum safe dose she specifies. Yeah, but she gives in and gives him more and she's like oh you must have been in a lot of pain and you know he roly gap mouths at her and she (laughs) realizes that the painkillers were able to knock back the primitive brain (laughs) Uh, she explains like what's happening to him and O'Neill offers to be a guinea pig for any kind of solution to this problem Mm -hmm. important to the storyline but Yet another thing that annoyed me <laughs> is that she mentioned that the virus throws off hormones and has a histaminolytic re- reaction, meaning that it eats histamines. Not a thing. Histaminolytic is a thing. Histaminolytic means that something breaks down histamines, but it does not mean that they eat like histamines. Pac-Man. Like Pac-Man, yeah. But she, she she consistently says that it is eating histamines. That is not what histaminolytic means. Lytic means to cut or to uh, destroy, essentially. Histamine, the, being the first part of the word, means that it is cutting histamines. It doesn't mean that it's eating them, one. Second of all, viruses, not being alive, do not eat. So <laughs> it is not eating histamines. The end. <laughs> Take that, Dr. Fraser. <laughs> You don't know anything. Okay. No, she doesn't. Stupid <laughs> fake doctor. <laughs> Actually, I like her character very much. Me it's too. just sad that they have to introduce her with such bad biology in this episode. <laughs> Back on the not Earth planet. Do we know what the name of this planet actually is? I P three X seven nine seven. Oh right. I yeah, don't. Right. Yeah, I don't think they name it. They just have no. the dark forest and the yeah. land of the light. Yeah. Back on the other planet. Tilk is alone in arriving at the city. The locals welcome in and ask where his friends are, and he says that they've all been infected and that it is actually a disease, not a curse, as they have been telling him. Tilk asks for their help and insists that Daniel is immune and not cursed, so he really wants their help to go out and get him, but they say that he is gone now. They don't really believe Tilk when he says that Daniel is not infected. But Tilk says, well, he's with the leader, leader guy's daughter. 
leader guy says that his daughter can't function and is not one of them anymore, so she is dead. Leader woman says that many of their loved ones are infected, but they can't be helped, so even though they're not technically dead, they are dead to them, dead to the members of society. And Tilk asks how they can be so without heart. They are insulted by this and ask him to leave. And Tilk insists on blood samples because he really, his entire mission reason for going and the entire reason for risking Daniel out in the woods and losing Daniel is because they needed these blood samples from the untouched. The delivery of that line, if you will not help me find my friend, then I must have a sample of your blood. Just cracked me up so much. It was pretty good. Yeah, I appreciated it as well. They are unwilling to give up their life force, uh, as they call it. And he says that it won't harm them, but they're still super insulted and so ask him to leave. But then they just walk away and leave him there. Yeah. <laughs> standing in the room by himself. And granted, there are guards at the exit, but like nobody is escorting him out. They just say, don't be here when we come back. <laughs> so he does pretend to go leave. But then on his way out, he actually knocks out the guards because, again, he's super badass and can take like pretty much anybody down. So even though these guys had weapons and were pretty big, he took them out easily and then takes the blood samples from their unconscious bodies. He was sorry. He did apologize. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. He's got very good manners. Yeah. Which I think is great. It, I definitely agree. Yeah. So we do get a flash then back to the touched where Daniel is kind of being tossed around and beaten, it looks like. Yeah, and where are his pants? I, I didn't notice the lack of pants. <laughs> They're mostly gone. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's rough. It is rough. <laughs> and that's it for that scene. Yeah, that was it. That was it. We just got a little idea of what's going on with Daniel. Yeah. And then we're back in the infirmary again. Uh, Teal'c has returned. Fraser says that Carter was stabbed by her roommate, and but tells Tilk that she'll be okay when he's looking over, like, what happened to her? <laughs> and then Tilk gives her the blood sample that he's collected. And then he heads on to go visit O'Neill to tell him that he'd lost Daniel Jackson to the dark side of the planet and that he's sorry about that because Tilk is the best. Yeah. The doctor, she bursts in pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. having already examined the blood sample she was yeah. brought. That, that was a super fast analysis. Yeah. <laughs> so she she notes there's very little histamine in the blood. So there is nothing for the virus to eat. That's not a thing. <laughs> the virus could not survive because it couldn't eat the histamines like Pac-Man. And they, and they can't survive in the untouched because they have no histamine. I might have just said the same thing twice. Teal'c wonders why the untouched do become the un- the touched, and they're like, well, they must be getting it from their diet, and when they stop eating it, they, the virus uh, moves on in and eats all their histamine that comes back. Oh, I have a question. I know there's a little bit more to this scene. Yeah. But are there antihistamine type foods? Is that a thing? Oh, that one I actually don't know. That's a good question. Because... I did a cursory Google, but most of the sites looked like pseudoscience-y, and I was like, I don't have time to go down this. Like on this on this planet, I do not believe that there are there are like anti-inflammatory type foods yeah. that may have a bit of an antihistamine-like effect. But I actually don't know for sure. But I was okay. willing to suspend my disbelief for this one since Fair. it's supposed to be a foreign planet yeah. that they're getting the antihistamine-like food from. So, yeah. so that one, that one thing, I was willing to look. To look <laughs> I wasn't skeptical, just curious. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what else could I be doing to help my allergies besides uh, taking yeah. drugs every day? Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> oh, and the uh, the doctor explains that she and Daniel both have pretty bad allergies, so they're both mm-hmm. on strong antihistamines already, which is why they have not been or had not been until recently affected by it. Uh, Daniel's antihistamine must have worn off. The cure is apparently a mega dose of chlorophenaramine malleate. 
I didn't even catch it, and I was so exasperated at this point that I was like, "Yeah, whatever, fine." I don't know what <laughs> so that I is. didn't even. I don't know what it is. I didn't look into it to see if it's real. I just didn't care anymore. I assume it's a mega dose of antihistamine of some yeah. kind. It sounds it sounds druggy, so like druggy. It sounds like a drug. So my great. guess, my guess would be that it's not real, but I don't know for sure because, as I said, I don't wasn't even sure what she said and didn't bother to check. I meant to Google it, but I only had so much time. Um, so O'Neill obviously, uh, has, you know, volunteers to be, again, the test subject and, you know, she gives a little like, oh, it might be dangerous. And he's like, no, totally do it. So she gives him the, the injection and then Tilk tucks him in. And he, yeah, I thought that yeah. was really cute. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I made a note of that. I thought it was pretty adorable. He does. He lays him down and covers him with a blanket and like pats him. Yeah. It's great. It's sweet. Yeah. We flash to the control room. They're dialing the gate, and we see that Hammond is all better because he's no longer in a straight jacket, and he's back in uniform. <laughs> we go down to the gate room, and everyone else is all better, too. We see Sam there, and apparently she's healed very rapidly from her stab wound because she's all geared up. <laughs> they all have tranquilizer guns with whatever that antihistamine was, supposedly. Both the tranquilizer and the antihistamine loaded up in the guns, and they're going back to the planet to get Daniel. It worked. Yay. So back on the dark forest side of the planet, Daniel has definitely become one of the touch. He's hanging mm-hmm. out at the campfire holding a big ass bloody bone. Yeah. Sitting next to his new lady friend, which I think was Melosha. It was. Who also has an enormous bone. Yes. And, like, a literal, literal, not figurative. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> They're so big and like they like, were. Did they eat all that flesh? That's amazing. <laughs> they were pretty bloody looking too. So if they were cooked, they weren't cooked very well. <laughs> but I mean, they had a fire. They could have cooked it, but I'm guessing they didn't. Yeah. Um. the The bone might have had a little look of a charring to it, but I couldn't really tell. It could have just been darker, dried blood. It just looked very red to me. <laughs> so SG, uh, the SG teams arrive and they uh start shooting darts at everyone camped around the fire mm-hmm. uh and they take out everyone but daniel and melosha for reasons yeah uh, <laughs> she's still holding her big bone through all of this and like intermittently gnawing on it and she looked like she was having a great time yeah uh and then o'neill calls daniel a dog because he has another lady friend on another planet mm-hmm. and carter moves in with a needle to inject him which unsurprisingly daniel lurches at her at which point they just shoot them anyway right and they both go down (laughs) the end they do i mean that wasn't the end but yeah (laughs) i have also said the end erroneously probably because i was wishing it was the end it's not the end back in the city sg1 comes up tilk is carrying daniel and they are telling the untouched that they have a cure for the disease they put Daniel up on the special isolation altar, and we get a close-up of his kind of loafed-up face. Nice <laughs> we get unibrow, a clo- Daniel. Yeah. We we get a close-up of his unibrow and his uh, supposedly primitive-looking face. The locals ask, if you aren't gods, then how did you destroy the curse? And Daniel calls out from his isolation pillows, asking where they are. And uh, apparently he's all better. That is a very surprisingly rapid recovery, yeah. seeing as they had like full on bone growths in their foreheads as a result of this, or as they call it, brow swelling. They don't say it's actual bone growth, I guess. You run out of uh, dots but, in your blood vessels, and then that's but, it. The Pac Man dies. <laughs> but they also had all the extra hair that's suddenly gone, too, but whatever, okay. <laughs> The locals are incredulous that somebody has recovered from the curse, from being touched. So they go to the line between the dark side and the light side, which, again, is a stationary line between daytime (laughs) and nighttime. So I guess this planet doesn't rotate. And so the light side is constantly in daylight and the dark side is constantly in nighttime. So how is there any life on this planet whatsoever if it's not actually spinning? They're both pretty temperate in both parts. Like, yeah. Both yeah also visible. also how do they i mean like i guess maybe their plants don't need sunlight mm-hmm. and photosynthesis because foreign planet so i'll i'll shut up on that <laughs> but life shouldn't be possible but whatever um um excuse me life finds a way life uh finds a way 
<laughs> so true. Even on uh, alien planets, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> the gold bloom is universal. I don't know. Yes, indeed. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, never, apo- never apologize for a gold bloom. <laughs> The touched are all better as they're coming wandering out of the dark side. You only knew the power of the dark side. Into the light side. Sam apologizes to O'Neill for attacking him. And he's like, ah, whatever. I don't even remember it because I was also infected. But then he also mentions that he hopes her stab wound heals properly because otherwise she might never wear her sweet little tank top again. (gasps) And that is a gross note to end it on. Yeah. But Carter smiles. So I guess it's okay. I guess so. <laughs> so I have a question before we get to... Uh, yes. I was just wondering, so for the people who were the touched, what do you yeah. think life is like for them when they go back to normal? Like, apparently they remember. Yeah. So, like, if they've been living that way for, say, years... Right. That's got to be a hard adjustment. Yeah. And did were they able to procreate? Do any of them have children? Right. Yeah, we don't know that either. I mean, we didn't see any children coming out, but uh, so I guess maybe not. But also, like, how do you have normal relationships with maybe the person that the the multiple people that might have raped you after that? I don't know know how you'd have normal relationships with your attackers, potential attackers after that. I hope they get a lot of support in their transition back to society. So, so Kathy. Yes. Did you like this episode? I did. Uh, yeah. I didn't mind the bad science stuff, and I was <laughs> amused so much with uh, Hammond's uh, activities in the thing, and then <laughs> just other little scenes like uh, Johnson attacking Tilk's Gould specifically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then uh, Lady with Her Bone. It was just a fun episode for me, even though it's, I don't know, I guess a serious subject, but it was silly enough, the episode itself. Um, That's fair. I enjoyed it. Um, the only thing I didn't really like was Richard Dean's act, uh, Richard Dean Anderson's rolling of his head. Yeah. And, it just, I don't know what it was about that, but it really, like, freaked me out. I don't know. Yeah, this... Uh... I hated it, obviously. <laughs> I'm shocked. I mean, shocked. I, I know, right? I mean, granted, the first time or several times, I've probably seen it several times now because I've watched this show through a couple times. Um, I had my bachelor's degree in biology, but I did not yet have my master's degree. And I had not studied human biology nearly as much as I have since the last time that I saw this episode. So I hated it even more than I remembered disliking it. Um, initially, I remembered not liking Richard Dean Anderson's acting uh in it just because it just same thing it kind of creeped me out and the nails on a blackboard of this of his voice bothered me but i just hated the science so much that it was really distracting to me and i feel like i mean i know you can't be too picky because it's sci-fi and it's just for fun but i feel like even something as simple as just calling it a parasite instead of a parasitic virus i probably would have been able to look past a lot of stuff but just just like blatant inaccuracies that I feel like if they'd really tried, they could have gotten a scientific consult to be like, no, all of these things are bad science. <laughs> but they clearly didn't consult with anybody. Maybe they only learned those things in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. Back in 1997, we didn't know anything about how the brain ages. works. <laughs> So yeah, so I re- yes, I acknowledge that I'm probably being way too picky about the science in this episode, but it was really hard for me to look past, even though I know that probably most people uh, watching this episode would have no idea what I'm talking about or why I'm so annoyed. <laughs> maybe we'll have a huge biologist following, and yeah, maybe <laughs> we can all hate watch it together. Yay! <laughs> yeah, good times. Excellent times. So what do we have happening next? I didn't like this episode. Actually, I hated this episode. I didn't like the last episode. So please tell oh, me man. that the next episode is one that I like better. They, they did start off really strongly out the gate in the first couple episodes. Yeah. And then, yeah, I did these like were the, a yeah. little bit. Mm, yeah. I did like the first couple. 
I don't think we actually asked about it after the first episode, but I did like yeah. that one. Yeah, I thought that was actually. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty strong like opening. Yeah. Episode yeah, the of whole the TV show, the Children of the Gods, I thought was great, yeah. and the next one, the Kowalski right. one. Yeah. yeah, and the Kowalski one I liked too, other than being sad um, that he yeah. died. So it was really only These this one and the last one that I actively dislike. Fair. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can do better next time. Yes, please. So the next episode. Five is called the first commandment the sg1 team is sent after the sg9 team that has failed to return huh they sorry <laughs> there's oh. i don't know what happened i like went back to reread what i had just said to make sure it was right and then i just I lost like, it okay let me that's see. a very unhelpful description <laughs> <laughs> it could go anywhere from there yeah uh, okay so we've got uh, episode 5, The First Commandment. The SG-1 team is sent after the SG-9 team that has failed to return. They find that SG-9's captain, having been treated like a god by planetary inhabitants, is drunk with power and is tyrannizing them. Can they overcome him? <gasps> mm. I actually don't remember anything about this episode, so I, maybe it's... I remember it. Do you? I mean, I definitely think they... The theme that there are gods on every planet. Uh, yeah. It's good they're playing on that or leaning into that. That's good. I don't know. Mm. Interesting. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's okay. I never know what you're saying. Fair. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. And make sure that you hit subscribe on whatever podcatcher you happen to be. We're going to be on pretty much all of them. Between episodes, which are going to be released every other week, you can find us on Twitter at Stargate Sing, S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. You can also email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. And if you are feeling generous, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stargatesing. I am Mary. And I am Kathy. And this has been Stargatesing. The end. Woo! The end. That was rough. <laughs> so, I made it. I'm so uh, congratulations. Thank you. I think you should uh, give yourself a big pat on the back. Maybe have a stiff drink. I need. Yeah, I was gonna say I need a beer, but I don't think we have any. So, boo.